a national championship every six or seven years. Yes, I may not win the SEC every single year, but knowing I'm going to be competing for a championship, you know, two or three times a decade, I'll take that. Welcome to the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez, your host. Happy belated Valentine's Day to my cohorts, Corbin and Tyler. Guys, it's been a busy week. We've got eight different sports to uh, touch on tonight. We kind of pride ourselves as the OU podcast that covers, um, you know, so much in depth across the board from an athletic standpoint. But guys, how are we doing? How was your Valentine's Day? It was good. Uh, I actually got my Valentine's stuff uh, done over the weekend, trying to be proactive and kind of beat the crowd uh, that was occupying all the restaurants and stuff last night. So uh, we we did Valentine's Day, uh, just kind of a Friday-Saturday combo, and uh, just kind of took it easy last night, had dinner at home, and it was good. Yeah, I was out on the town, guys. Uh, enjoyed a night out, drank too much for a Monday night. Uh, it's a crime that Valentine's Day fell after the Super Bowl, like the day after. That just seems like it should be illegal. But, uh, but yeah, besides that, can't complain. Tyler, this is the time of year that, you know, back in our old marketing days, we were most excited about all the sports Whoa. we're going, but we also loathed because it created some long hours. So uh, prayers and thoughts with all the uh, marketing and ops people that uh, are working crazy hours there in, in Norman and all over the country right now. Adam, did you put on a full, uh, full-blown spread for, for Valentine's Day or what, what, was kind of the, what was kind of the plan for you? Uh, most of that, uh, will probably be, I guess some of it's already happened, uh, remotely. Um, and then I'll be meeting up with my fiance in Florida this weekend. So, nice. um, a little bit, a little bit of both, a little spread out over the month. Uh, why nice. not, why not have it over a couple days rather than just one? So are you guys flowers? Is that an essential every single year? Do you switch it up or is that just kind of the, it's, it's almost wrong if you don't do it. Well, um, as the most loyal listener to our podcast, um, I would say she's a, she's probably a flowers person. So I stick to the rules. <laughs> God, I hope you're not wrong if she's a I hope she's not. I feel like well, flowers are like the, the minimum you can do, right? Flowers in the card. Like that's yeah, well, you gotta start there. Before Tyler gets us into more trouble, we should just move off this and talk about some OU sports um, before uh, I dig myself a hole. But, um, you know, kind of alluding to what you mentioned there, Corbin, this is such a busy time of year for OU athletics. There's probably more sports being played right now than at any point uh, throughout the rest of the year. So we're going to switch it up a little bit. Um, Normally we talk football first, but there's so many different sports to cover. We want to spread it out just a little bit. So we'll get to football in a moment. Uh, But let's start off with women's basketball, uh, Tyler. What's uh, what's going on with women's basketball? Where do things stand, and what's the outlook here? Yeah, things are still going really good for Jenny Baranchek's team. Um, you know, obviously last weekend Saturday night was was the lone game of the week, and it didn't quite go the way that Jenny and that team wanted it. Um, obviously a 78-63 loss at Texas on Saturday night. Um, Oklahoma still sits in really good position, both overall nationally as well as the Big Twelve play twenty and four on the season, nine and three in Big Twelve. Um, and you know, we've, we've got five or six games left to kind of close out the regular season here for this women's basketball team. It all starts tomorrow night at home against Texas tech tech is two and 10 in big 12 play. So, OU's got to take care of business tomorrow night, get that kind of easier, uh, uh, easier win. And then this weekend, guys, you've got your biggest game of the season up to this point right now, where Oklahoma is actually going to travel to Ames to take on Iowa state, the team that currently, uh, 
uh, is one game ahead of Oklahoma for first place in the Big 12 standing. So um, Jenny's team is doing really, really well. Like I said, 20-4 and four on the year. Uh, it's it's just it's mind blowing watching this team play. The fact that they are so they're such a fast paced team. They have so many so many guards, so many athletic players, so many people that can shoot the basketball. Uh, and it's just kind of crazy the fact that this team, made up of the same players for the most part, that was coached by Sherry Cole last year, was twelve and twelve. And here we are sitting at twenty and four on the year. So hell of a turnaround in year one for Jenny, and we'll see how this team closes it out. Yeah, and I think the thing that is most exciting to me is, yeah, who knows what happens this season. Maybe they lose in the first round of the tournament and that's it. It's still a great year. I think it definitely reestablishes this program as one of the top 15 in the entire country. And yeah. similar to how it is in softball, in, in, a, in a lot of women's sports for that matter, once you're in that elite top tier, um, you're you know miles and miles ahead of pretty much everybody else. It's a little bit different than the men's sports. So um, the talent just isn't nearly spread um, nearly as thin as it is there. So I think there's there's so much optimism there, and um, we're seeing bigger and bigger crowds come to Lloyd Noble to, to support this team, which is awesome. I think one of the things that is going to be interesting, obviously, in the next one to two years moving forward is you see what Jenny's been able to get out of the current roster that was kind of left to her, those players. What's she going to be able to do as a recruiter and bring in players of her own? Because we've kind of seen, you know, the system that she likes to run is, you know, kind of typically the run and gun type system, you know, uh, spread the floor out, run the, you know, run the court, um, you know, try to get easy buckets or kick it back out, set up your half court offense. And when you've got shooters like Maddie Williams and Taylor Robertson, uh, makes life a whole lot easier. But just seeing how she's going to be able to recruit over the next you know, 18 months, uh, I, I think that the women's basketball program, the direction it's going in right now, uh, is men's basketball actually ties it up with 24 seconds left. Uh, it's going really strong right now. And, you know, like I said, feels like I say it every other podcast, but Joe C knocked this hire out of the park. I can't say that uh, I'd either any of us probably would know the answer to this, but that game up in Ames between OU and Iowa State, that's the biggest women's basketball game in OU's history since I couldn't tell you. It's been that long since OU's had a relevant women's basketball team. Yeah, probably since what the Daniel Robinson days, and that probably. was you know a few years after the Paris Twins. So um, it's just mind blowing looking up and seeing twenty and four as the record next to OU women's basketball after what we've been you know kind of subjected to over the last five to ten years. But no, it's an exciting time and. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be on TV. Uh, I wish that ESPN did a little bit better job about women's sports and you know broadcasting. We'll touch on that here in softball in just a second. But it's a big it's a big one uh, on Saturday, and OU's got to take care of business tomorrow night first. Well, speaking of softball, uh, they just got started this past weekend, and I think more OU fans are aware of the fact that softball is even playing, even though once we get to the postseason, it's been a regular occurrence. A ton of Sooner Nation is is really engaged at that point. I haven't seen the level of engagement here at the very front of the season as I have, um, you know, this year compared to any other year. So um, a pretty great weekend all around on the diamond for the Sooners, including a big win over UCLA. Uh, Corbin, what, uh, what stood out to you from this uh, opening weekend here? Yeah, guys. I mean, picking up right where they left off, right? I mean, the first uh, pitch of the year was a, was a home run ball. Uh, so crazy how uh, talented this team is. And if you look back at last season, even though they're a national championship winner, everybody was curious on like, could the pitching manage? Well, clearly we have found a pitcher in freshman pitcher, Jordy uh, Ball. And she obviously stole the show, Big 12 Pitcher of the mm-hmm. Week in the first week of going. But as a team, guys, outscored opponents 41-1. to uh, down there in California, they had three run rules in five games. 
we are spoiled rotten when it comes to OU softball. Um, and that continued to be the uh, the case this weekend, really highlighted by a victory over number three UCLA to start the year. And guys, it's not like, oh, you can't win those games early on. If you look at the, the past few years, they've typically dropped a game or two against really high caliber teams in the non-conference that clearly is not the case this year with uh, with UCLA already a victory now under their their belt. But yeah, looking forward, guys. Got the Houston Classic uh, this weekend against uh, McNeese State. Oh, sorry, getting distracted by this basketball game. OU ball tie game, nineteen seconds to go. Uh, finishing up here, two games against McNeese State, two games against Houston, two games against Texas State. I would imagine Sooners handle business there. But guys, really highlighting some other the non conference matchups. Number 11, Arizona, and number 15, Tennessee, in an upcoming tournament on the schedule. Should be a nice test for the Sooners heading into conference play. And guys, look out. You know, Oklahoma State and Texas, both in the top 10 uh, to start the season. So Big 12 may be tough this year, but hard to bet against uh, old Patty and her team. You know, we knew coming into this coming into this season that the offense, there weren't going to be any question marks about it. I mean, you've got five All-Americans in that lineup right now, you know, led by Tiara Jennings, Jocelyn Allo, Kenzie Hansen, things like that. If there was one thing that OU, fan, OU softball fans, you know, was maybe there was a little bit of uneasiness about, kind of a question up in the air, what was it going to look like in the circle at the pitching position? You know, OU fans, we've been spoiled. Patagasso has put out some dominant pitchers, you know, during her time here in Norman. Keelani Ricketts, Paige Parker, Paige Lowry, G. Juarez last, you know, the last couple of years. What's Oklahoma going to do moving forward? And we heard so much about this Jordy Ball, uh, you know, girl, number one recruit in the entire country coming in as a true freshman in Oklahoma. So much hype, a lot of attention, a lot of praise being thrown uh, her way. And what was she going to look like, you know, starting out and striking out 14 hitters against the number three team in the country in California uh, uh, home of UCLA, just just absolutely fantastic, and you know that's and I think a lot of attention needs to be you know kind of thrown towards Nicole May uh, and, and uh, Hope. Forgive me, Hope, for you know not uh, being able to pronounce your last. Yeah, Trotline. I, I believe it's Trotline, but Trotline. Wrong. Yeah, but that that's as solid of a one-two-three combo as you're going to get in college softball right now. So we know how dominant the lineup is. How you know they can bust a game wide open anytime that lineup comes up to the plate. But the fact that you're getting dominant pitching from this team, especially early on, uh, it bodes well for Patty Gasso's team. This is this is the number one softball team in the country, and it's going to be another fun, exciting year as an Oklahoma fan. Yeah, and I think it's impressive too. Like normally, you would see them go out and just wipe the floor with a bunch of doormat type teams, and yeah, there were probably some of those in this opening weekend tournament. But mixing in UCLA there and and winning that four to one in a pretty solid fashion is is pretty impressive. While Jordy Ball, you know, your true freshman is pitching, you know, quite a bit of that game, um, that's going to pay off dividends uh, come June. So uh, I think that's exciting and, and great for the team to be able to have those types of, of high level competitions to start out the year. And I mean, I don't know why baseball doesn't do this, but softball being able to play the first entire month in the likes of, you know, warm, tropical Southern California, Florida, you know, Texas, Southern Texas, and so on and so forth. Whereas uh, baseball plays a few uh, road trips, but uh, they actually open the season at home uh, next week on a Tuesday when it uh, might be pretty chilly outside and rainy. So uh, we shall see. We'll talk baseball a little bit more in depth uh, later in the podcast, though. I th- I think that that's one of my favorite things that Patty Gasso does um, is. Oh, oh that was, that was a good look. Us. Sorry. Yeah, just a little. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrapping up the, the end of uh, regulation time for OU Texas basketball. But no, that's one of my favorite things that. 
uh, the, the Patty Gasso, <clears throat> she kind of makes it a point to do every, every single year in the non-conference play. She wants to schedule the UCLA's, the Arizona's, the, the, you know, some of the more dominant teams in the SEC, uh, early on in the season before big 12 play gets going, just because she wants to know what she has in this team, what she has in her lineup, what her pitching staff looks like, what adjustments does she need to make? Uh, and what we've seen through the first five games of the year, um, She's, she's got a really good softball team. Feels like it's been a while since we've said that. <laughs> yeah. familiar territory. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. So I, a lot of level of excitement there. Again, there's a long way to get to probably some more meaningful games again. Um, you know, Arizona, like you mentioned, Corbin, number 15, that should still be a team that OU handles fairly easily. Um, although, you know, one game situation, you never know. And it's, it's not like the season is riding on one game, but I think we'll know a lot more once we start getting into the conference play. Is the pitching all there? Is the hitting all there? You know, did it, did it carry over from last year? So yeah. um, still a long ways to go there, but a very exciting start to the season there uh, on the diamond. So that brings us to football, uh, which is of course the year round beast of an animal that um, continues to be in the spotlight as far as OU athletics goes. And really the biggest talking point that, uh, and thing that is going on with football right now is, well, you know, there seems to be a disconnect between what the national media expects from OU this year and what, you know, people that are plugged into the program, fans, local media, and so forth, what they're expecting out of the Sooners this year. Should we even field a team? (laughs) It it is, it is so strange. Um, You know, there's, I don't think OU fans are expecting the playoffs or even a national championship, although that is still the standard. Um, I don't think that OU fans are necessarily expecting that, but the national media and quite a few of them, it's almost become somewhat popular to, you know, kick OU down and say, Hey, they're not a top 25 team, or maybe they're, you know, going to fall out of the regular rotation. They're riding this stuff just because, because they know that OU is a diehard fan base and we will interact and that's just how it goes. So how much of this stuff, you know, these writers actually believe I'm not totally sure, but their goal isn't to necessarily write believable stories. It's to write stories that get clicks and clicks lead to sponsorships. And that's where they get all their money. So listen, if you want this, OU quote unquote slander to stop and just let them say what they're going to say and move on with your day. That's the easiest way to go about it. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, the, the national media at this point, you know, it's they're about as delusional as they come. And I think some of the content that's being written or said is just, you know, borderline moronic. And, you know, guys, I, I think a lot of the things, like you said, Corbin, a lot of what's being, you know, said, um, a lot of the things being said aren't what these people actually think. And I think the gay biker made a pretty good point on Twitter where, you know, a lot of these people that are writing these articles right now for, for clicks and recognition and clout, these same people are probably going to pick OU to win the Big 12 uh, come late this summertime. So, you know, they they know it's been a crazy last three months for Oklahoma, you know, for, for, for the fans between Lincoln Riley leaving, Brent Venables becoming the head coach, Venables hiring a new staff, Caleb Williams, a few others transferring out. They see online how fired up and passionate Oklahoma fans are about their football team. So they put out these almost bullshit articles and kind of asinine hot takes, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing it's going to get a rise out of OU fans, which results in more clicks, more people talking about their content. But guys, I think one of the biggest things that sticks out to me, the national media, it's almost like they think OU football is going to just fall off into the ocean simply because Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams are gone. You know, good Lord. 
<clears throat> Adam, say something real quick. I'm going to get <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, it is interesting. And you see the fan reaction to this. And there's certainly, you know, the fans that are always saying, oh, you know, why don't you rank OU in the top 10? But they're also the same fans that are saying, well, I don't want to be ranked too high. I, I don't want to be ranked too high. I want OU to have a chip on their shoulder, which I think that's absolutely crazy. There's no Alabama players uh, or fans that are saying that. Uh, in fact, um, you know, there's some interesting comments that came out from Perry on Winfrey on uh, Gabe and Teddy's podcast, the Oklahoma Breakdown, uh, where he basically said, hey, the pressure was too high. And, um, you know, this mm-hmm. team just didn't, you know, meet those expectations. That's interesting because you there's pressure on, you know, those top tier teams, Alabama's, the o- Ohio State's of the world. Um, and the pressure makes those teams better, in my opinion. Whereas at OU, there was a culture that that pressure basically imploded that team in a sense and um, imploded uh, Lincoln Riley, of course. But um, it's curious to see, you know, if Brent Venables can kind of change some of that culture so that we can handle super high expectations. Um, You know, not having great expectations from the national media, whatever, I I don't really care all that much. Uh, You know, I I think the results on the field will will prove themselves. Well, I think you can kind of tell by the way that people are covering OU (laughs) nationally right now that they don't know the history of this program. Uh, and what OU fans have really been kind of, you know, complaining about the last few years with Lincoln Riley. And <clears throat> they don't understand, I don't think, Brent Venable's pedigree and accomplishments as a coach. Um, <clears throat> you know, sure, he hasn't ever been a head coach <clears throat> at, a, at a school before, but he's been the best. <laughs> this is so bad, guys. I apologize. I don't know what's happening. <clears throat> Getting old. Yeah, I was going to say, 28 starting off strong. My God. <clears throat> but... Tyler, as a media member, uses that golden uh, voice, you know, for his his career. So, you got to take care of yourself. But, but, you know, Venables, he's been the best defensive coordinator in college football for the better part of the last two decades. You know, he's coached in eight national championships. He's got three rings to show for it. Um, You know, in terms of who he is as a coach, elite recruiter, uh, great developer of, you know, talented football players both on and off the field. Um, you know, and some of the some of the things that he truly values and one of the things that he's really going to drive home into this program, you know, it's all about loyalty, toughness, passion, doing things for the betterment of the team, not just for, you know, individual success. And since, you know, guys, since when is it impossible for first time head coaches to be successful? Uh, I mean, hell, the last three big time coaches that we've had at OU, uh, Barry Switzer, Bob Stoops um, and, you know, the the guy out west all became first time head coaches when they got to Oklahoma. So. Uh, if you know anything about the history of this program and you know what this what this school and this football team can do, you know that chances are Venables is going to have a chance to, su- to succeed. And I think he has a chance to succeed in year one. Yeah, I guess, guys, you know, I think a big argument that some of these guys were making, especially on Twitter, even if it wasn't in their article, is, you know, what are the expectations for this program as it drastically changes in competition when it goes to the SEC? And I, I don't think any of us can, can predict what that's going to look like, but I am curious to both your thoughts, you know, what, what is that expectation? Are we going to turn into an Auburn and kind of be relevant every few years? Is this more like a Florida where most years they're better than they're not? But I, I mean, I can't see us keeping up with necessarily like Bama and Georgia year in, year out. So curious, kind of both your thoughts, like, obviously we don't know when that's going to happen, when it's going to take place for us to officially move to the SEC. But when it does, does the, does the expectations for this program change? 
I think as an OU fan, your expectations in terms of consistency and winning year in and year out, I think that you kind of have to tamper your expectations a little bit. OU's not going to win six straight SEC championships like we just did in the Big 12. It's just simply not going to happen. Uh, there's too much talent in that league. There's too many good teams year in and year out. Um, now, while I do think, and again, this kind of goes back to the national media, it almost feels like the national media thinks that Oklahoma fans are going to just going to expect us Walking into the SEC, we're going to win 10, 11, 12 games, win an SEC championship, win a national championship. I don't think that's simply the case. Now, I don't think OU is going to all of a sudden become like the Nebraska of the Big Ten where you know we're going to be kind of sort of a bottom feeder in that conference, only win six or seven games a year. Honestly, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, I think OU kind of has a similar trajectory in terms of you know consistency year in and year out is like an LSU where – OU is going to win eight, nine, you know, maybe 10 games consistently year in and year out, probably around that eight to nine range. But who's to say that, you know, maybe every that that every fourth, fifth or sixth year, OU is going to either be in it or win a national championship. And I think as an Oklahoma fan, you have to take that, I think. I mean, no, I know me personally, and, you know, speaking for us three guys coming from a program, fans of a program that has, hasn't won a national championship since 2000, we're going on 22 years here, I would take that a national championship every six or seven years. Yes, I may not win the SEC every single year, but knowing I'm going to be competing for a championship, you know, two or three times a decade, I'll take that. And I think OU fans would say the same. Well, sure. I mean, we, we haven't won one in 22 years. So I think everybody would be on board with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's easy to say on this side of it, Tyler, and say, oh, yeah, we'll take, you know, three, four losses a year, you know, win eight or nine games. That's easy to say on this side. Um, but... We all know that when those losses happen, that's when the fan base really gets riled up. You know, we got our most, you know, I think our second most downloaded episode ever after the Baylor loss this year. So um, that certainly, you know, is proof in the pudding that we don't like to lose. And we can sit here and go, yeah, we're cool with that if there's payoff, you know, in the second year to win a national championship or the third year or something like that. But none of that's guaranteed. So yeah. I, I've, probably, you know, of this podcast been the member that's the most vocal about not liking this move to the SEC because you don't just change your expectations and go, uh, yeah, I guess we're okay with not winning the conference now. And, oh yeah, I guess we're okay with winning only nine games a year and going nine and three most <clears throat> of the time. That, that doesn't really happen. Like we can say, yeah, there's so many good things that'll come with that and we'll, we'll take the bad. But when that bad comes to your, your doorstep and you have to actually accept it, that's going to be really telling. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. think it's going to be necessarily that easy. So I think the asterisk to that statement though, Adam is, is we may not like it if, if the playoff is still at four, <clears throat> but if you lose two or three games in a regular season, you still get into the playoff because your schedule is so tough and there's such a respect for the sec. Correct. Then I don't think we mind it as much. You know, if you start missing the playoff, whenever it's a 12 team playoff consistently, I think that'll be an issue. But if this does eventually go to a 12-team playoff and you lose two to three games every season, but because that that conference is so tough, you're automatically going to be in or at least in consideration for a playoff every year, I don't think OU fans would mind it. Well, I will say yes. Like I agree with that to some level, but I also realize, hey, if the playoff is four and you're making it most years in the Big 12, then you're basically thought of as one of the top four programs. If you go to the SEC and you start making it as a group, you know, one of 12 programs that's regularly making it, then that that's sliding in, in my re, uh, opinion, as far as OU's status from a national perspective, uh, simply because right now you think of your blue bloods, your top level blue bloods, OU, Bama, 
Ohio State, Notre Dame, not necessarily in that order, but those are kind of your, your top four. So do you think that the perception of OU football would change if we're still in the Big 12 and we're a number three seed or a number four seed compared to being in the SEC and being like the the six seed or the seven? Like you think that that change changes the perception of, you know, where OU ranks in the pecking order, you know, nationally in terms of premier programs in college football? I think absolutely. Simply because of, yeah, you have a lower seed, but also at the same time, you're not winning the conference. And conference championships are great bragging points. They still matter uh, quite a bit. And OU, I think, has more than anybody else, if I'm not mistaken. So you get fewer of those. You're going to get fewer playoff opportunities. You're probably going to get, I don't know, I don't know if Heisman's will be necessarily affected there. But there's a lot fewer bragging points that you're Mm -hmm. going to be able to take home because you're just not going to be winning as much. Yeah, I, I think that there's still right now, there's just too many unknown variables and there's too many things that have to happen before I think we can, you know, maybe realistically have that conversation because like I'm in agreement with you, if the college football playoff isn't going to expand to 12 teams until, you know, 2026, 2028, then I'm kind of in favor of OU kind of staying where they're at right now because I think that, you know, improves our chances of winning a national championship because uh, I hate to say it, but you know the level of play is a little lower in the Big 12 Conference, and we are the premier program in this conference. So I think that I, that helps our chances as well. But then, you know, on the other side of the coin, you look and you see the article that came out a couple days ago where uh, the amount of money that the SEC generated last year, and you see that every single school in that conference, didn't matter if it was Alabama or you know bottom feeder Vanderbilt, everybody got I think it was what 57 million dollars. So in terms of your athletic department budget, you know, no matter how well you're doing, I it's got to be pretty damn appealing seeing that much money being allocated to each school throughout that conference. I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to it, but it, it was posted on Scoop, so I did go back and find the Cover 3 podcast with like Chip Patterson, Danny Cannell, and I went and I listened to those three to four minutes where they were discussing Venables and, you know, kind of the path OU was going to take moving forward. And like what we were talking about with the national media, you know, some of the quotes that came out of this thing, does Brent Venables get to coach in the SEC or will OU get rid of him because he's not the guy and stuff like, unless you're rooting for your athletic department's budget, I don't think Oklahoma is going to enjoy life in the SEC. I just, I I know that Oklahoma, I I don't know if we're ever going to get to the point where we're the equivalent of like a Nick Saban, Alabama, where, you know, we're just dominating college football. I don't think we're going to get there. Definitely not as long as Saban is in Tuscaloosa. Um, But to think that we're just going to drop off and become like a Kentucky or a Mississippi state, I think that that's foolish. And like you said, Corman, they are intentionally saying these things because they know it's going to drive people like us. Their goal is exactly what we're doing right now. We're talking about it. We're discussing it. And, it's just all foolish to me. It'll be interesting, guys. I mean, no, nobody was saying this about Oklahoma in late 2000s when the Big 12 was the toughest conference in the country. And OU was smack dab in the middle of it. Obviously played Florida there for a national title. But, mm-hmm. I mean, conference conference powerhouses do come and go. Yeah. And regardless of which ones, I mean, there was a, a while there where USC was the bread and butter. I'm not going to say the Pac-12 as a whole was the most you know dominant conference, but the USC obviously was was the kings of college football and now it shifted to Bama and now probably kind of leaning towards Georgia. We'll see how that plays out, but I, I don't know. It's always going to shift, but there's been one thing that's remained consistent. That's OU has always been a part of it in some way, shape, or form. We've certainly had yeah. our, our poor years or something like that. Does that change when we go to the SEC? It is possible. It is possible that we become less dominant. We take a step back. 
you know, for whatever reason, that's just kind of the way that chips fall. That is possible. But do I, what, what is there to, to say that Oklahoma has ever fallen off ever? And it, it's, there's nothing there to, to, to back that. So it's just kind of, kind of a confusing for a program who has been really dominant for, you know, 20 plus years and stints to say that, you know, just all of a sudden they're just going to disappear because they shift to a, to a tougher conference. I just don't see it. Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, but hasn't the biggest thing or kind of the biggest knock on OU over the last five to 10 years has been the fact that OU doesn't have the SEC patch on their, on their helmet right now? Because I think in large part the, to say, to, to pull a Danny Cannell or a Chip Patterson and say that OU is going to turn into a Mississippi State or a Kentucky, I don't think that there's any way possible that that actually happens because OU is already competing with the big boys, the top four to five in college football right now. So you bring them into the SEC and also factor in uh, as well that you've got Brent Venables and a much, much better coaching staff that has ties to that region in, region in terms of bringing in talent. I think that OU is in a much better position stepping into the SEC than any other team could possibly could be because of the fact that OU already is one of the top four programs in college football. They've already got the consistency of competing at that level. Now you put that SEC patch on there, they might be able to go out there and bring in guys from a talent standpoint, bring in recruits that weren't possible, guys that may not even be looking at OU simply because they wanted to play in the SEC. I think that that changes now uh, with OU making that transition. Yeah, I mean, and we don't know when the SEC transition happens, so I I couldn't tell you exactly. I, I would love to see how this year pans out before I start saying, yeah, things are going to be totally fine in the SEC because we just have so many new changes across the board. And I think that is probably what's leading to a lot of this um, dif- different discussion points that are, people are bringing up about OU. Um, you know, whereas a lot of other programs like Texas or Oregon or, or whoever it might be, USC even, are ranked ahead of OU, those programs are used to constant change and, um, you know, inconsistency across the board. So bringing a new coach that might be exciting, that's great news, you know, rank them high. Whereas at OU, there's been consistency. The, the change from Bob to Lincoln really was not much of a change at all. Um, there weren't too many concerns at that point. So I think for a lot of these sports writers and people in the media, their entire career, they've only really known one type of OU program. And now we're getting Brent Venables, who is a little bit of a throwback, but he's changing a ton of stuff. He's made so many different hires across the board. I mean, and a lot of those are filling seats of roles that didn't exist, you know, two months ago, but he's bringing out a ton of changes. There's a lot of different administrative things that are going to change as far as how this program is run. Now, that being said, if you just look at the depth charts, you know, across the board, you, you lose a few starters, you lose one receiver, um, you know, but you pick up a, a former starter in Theo Weiss. On the offensive line, you lose Marquise Hayes, but you pick up a starter from Cal and uh, McCade Matower. So um, Dylan Gabriel has more experience than Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler combined, probably lower ceiling, but at least he's proven something on the college level. So offensively, you've got a ton of pieces coming back that I think there should be no problems there. Defensively, you got a lot more holes to fill and a, and a much newer staff. But yeah, I just don't see the the the, the biggest difference as far as OU fans saying, "Hey, it should be top ten versus mm-hmm. some people say they should be unranked. And and Adam, just to clarify, what the thing on McCade Matower, we we got him from the transfer portal. We didn't get him from Cal. That's true. So that's yeah, true. Thank just, you for the correction. To, just want to clarify that we we don't take players from other schools. We take them from the transfer portal. So. Just, Guys, just let's kinda... just a quick quick thought here. Just to, let's let's say these writers actually believe 
what they're putting on paper. They genuinely think OU is going to fall to face the earth. Just to play devil's advocate, of the four years that we've been in the playoff, if you're asking my opinion, I think there's one year where we were actually a top four team as far as like sheer talent and like how Baker. good of a team we were. Baker? Would you all agree with that? Yeah, I'll, I would agree, yeah. I would say two. Who but it only only because of the offensive side of the football. I think that ba- uh, Baker's Rose Bowl team in 2017, and I'll even factor in Kyler's 2018 when you still had that uh, that that offensive line intact. You still had Hollywood Brown, C.D. Lamb, the but again, so bad. you don't have a defense either one of those years. So, but I, I think that at this point right now, and again, it it might be too early to say, and this might even be a foolish take, but I think that OU transitioning into the SEC. I like where we're at right now with Venables, this staff, the changes that they've made, that turnip seed. I think that we're in a much better position right now than we were with Lincoln Riley in terms of the type of football that's going to be expected week in and week out, the type of physicality and play that you have to bring every single Saturday. I think we're in a better position right now moving forward. Now, how well that translates and how quickly OU will be, will be able to adapt, that remains to be seen. Yeah, we'll see. We may have all, you know, crimson colored glasses on. Time will tell on that. But let's transition, guys. Sooners lose 80 to 78 against Texas tonight. Uh, guys, if that's not a nail in the coffin on this season, I'm not sure what is. They'd really have to surprise me down the stretch. But let's dig into this a little bit. Uh, Joe Luminardi, uh, before tonight, had OU in the last four buys, currently at an 11 seed. Uh, one thing I find interesting, guys, just a, a very poor second half team is probably a nice way to put it um before tonight eight of the last 10 games OU was outscored in the second half the two games they weren't are the two games they won they did outscore Texas tonight in the second half but obviously not in overtime I'm not sure what the answer is here guys I don't know if this is a this is a conditioning thing I'm not sure if it's a scheme thing I don't know if it's just straight uh, a personnel thing um but this team is about as on the bubble as you can get, maybe even slightly off after losing at home to Texas. But you look at what we have next at Iowa State and at Tech, and you have home against Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and then you end at Kansas State. I think the final three games of the season have to be a win, and you probably have to find a way to win one in Ames or in Lubbock, which is going to be very hard to do. And then you you may even need to win one in the Big 12 tournament uh, to get in. So, if I'm a betting man right now, I don't know how you guys feel, but this team is not going to make it into the NCAA tournament. I'm sure they'll be in the NIT, hopefully build some momentum to the next year, unless something drastically changes down the stretch. I asked the question about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, who's the best player on this team? And I, there's so much inconsistency there because mm-hmm. you know a week ago today, they're beating Texas Tech and uh, Mo Gibson's throwing up 30 points. And then the very next game, you've got Tanner Groves just dropping threes from the top of the, the arc there. And, and then tonight, he totally disappears. Four points in 22 minutes on only four field goal attempts. So there's there doesn't seem to be any type of consistency from any player necessarily. You're asking a guy like Jordan Goldwire, who came you know to this program from the transfer portal, not from Duke, from the transfer portal uh, to uh, where he was averaging, I think four and a half points a game. And now he's scoring quite a bit more. He, he definitely has some game. He can, he can do a few things, but he's asked to take on so much more of a role. And I think he is trying to shoulder a lot of that because he realizes there's not much help across the board. And this team just, it, it, it's not it. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, that's going to happen. A new coach, a lot of new faces, but um 
a lot of these guys are coming back next year. And I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing. I think that it's definitely a personnel problem. Um, and not to say that, you know, we don't have talented basketball players on this team. I mean, we definitely do, but, um, you know, we've watched this team play over the last, you know, two and a half, three months. And this is a really good basketball team, especially on the defensive end. But, you know, we've said it time and time again, especially since big 12 conference play started, who do you trust on this basketball team to go get you a bucket anytime you need it? I mean, yes, Mo Gibson's dropped 30 against Texas Tech last week, but the game before he had zero points, and the game after against Kansas, he had zero points as well. So there's really no consistency from top to bottom within this basketball team on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I mean, Jordan Goldwater, he's kind of come on late over the last four to five games. He's kind of played his best basketball this season. I still think Harkless is probably the best all-around player on this team right now. When he can get it going offensively, it's – maybe hard to find five or six better two-way players in the Big 12 Conference. But, no, I, I think that Porter Moser has milked everything out of this team that he possibly can. Guys, plain and simple, we're just not talented enough right now. We need to get better recruiting. Porter's going to get that done. Obviously, we know that he is bringing in quite a, uh, a few guys. I think he'll get a couple more in the transfer portal, but you've got to find more talent, more playmakers, more guys with an offensive skill set that can help you out because you can't score – just you, you can't expect to win basketball games only being able to score 50 to 55 points a night. Uh, yes, defense is, uh, you know, the number one thing in this conference, but you've got to be able, you can't score 50 points and expect that you're going to have a chance to win every single game. Yeah. yeah hard, I'm, hard to watch. Yeah. And I'm almost at the point where I'm like, man, I, I don't want them to go make a surprise upset win somewhere. And then I have to continue to watch some of this longer than than maybe I want because I know it's not going to end well in any in well, forms. So. I, I, I'm Adam, go this ahead. goes against your whole theology of like just get in. We have a chance. Like this is complete that, 180. You can't win you it want. if you're not in it. That's football. <laughs> That's totally different than the basketball situation going on. I so. think you have even you've got a better chance in basketball than you do football. Well, I, not I if you keep say, positioning yourself in such a poor seating scenario. I mean, get the big boys out early. <laughs> well, I, I that's think one way to look at it. I think this team has to go four and one throughout the rest of the regular season and win a, win the opening round game in the Big Twelve Conference play. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, OU is not winning in Lubbock next weekend. It's not going to happen. Sorry. So at Iowa State, Oklahoma State, West Virginia at K State, I I can't sit here and confidently say that I think that they can win all four of those games. So. Um, it was a really good year. We'll see if we can finish strong and, you know, have some momentum going into the off season. But, um, even though the fact that OU, I don't think is going to make the tournament, I still don't think that that should be a black eye, uh, in what was, uh, I think a somewhat successful year one for Porter Mosier, kind of building that culture and laying the foundation for what, what he wants this basketball program to look like. If they, if they do find themselves on the bubble, I mean, they've got the wins to make the case. It's just, sure. It's just they're they're losing so many close games, and I get that these teams are ranked and they're good, but I mean, I know it's a lot easier said than done. But you got to win that game at KU last weekend. You have to. I mean, you are leading almost the entire game. You have mm-hmm. to figure out a way to win that game. And now you battle with Texas all night, but down the stretch, I mean, you're down one. Texas misses a shot, and guy literally has just a wide open tip in to put into a three point game. You just yeah. you can't have those little things happen in this conference. And you can't get swept by TCU. Yeah, I mean that one hurts. That one probably hurts the most. So, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, um, TCU is this... fifth in the conference, though. So it's not even like that's a. They're not bad. 
It's just it's a really good conference. If you don't make the tough plays on the stretch, this is what and, happens. And who's to say, even though OU is, you know, probably one of the three or four worst teams in the conference, who's to say that if they were able to make it to March Madness, because the Big Twelve has been so tough, it's a it's a bloodbath night in and night out. Who's to say they couldn't win a couple games against the rest of the competition uh, across the country? So I don't know. We'll see. Um, but Adam, let's transition here to the sport that people, if you're still listening. You've been waiting for this update all night long. The season starts this weekend. What's going on with baseball, man? Yeah, from one sport that's currently disappointing us to one that probably will be disappointing <laughs> oh, us good. here in about a month and a half. Um, and I'm 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 critical of baseball. Um, I feel like I'm allowed to do that. That was my sport that I oversaw uh, when I worked in the athletic department uh, in, the, in the ticket office there. So um, I hold them to a high standard. Uh, simply because I want them to be the best and and to compete at a high level. And we haven't seen that very, uh, very frequently here in recent memory at OU. So here's the skinny on, on what's going on with baseball. The season starts uh, this weekend. They've got a tournament in Dallas. If you're in Dallas, go check out Globe Life Park if you haven't. It's a great baseball stadium. There's going to be a key matchup. Um, OU's playing uh, Arizona, which is a top 15 program on Saturday night. So um, that's a great measuring stick right off the bat. But, man, this team, it's so much unknown. Uh, from a hitting perspective, you've got Peyton Graham, uh, who is a stud. And let's hope that, you know, his season, uh, whatever he puts up, isn't wasted like it was last year when Tyler Hardman um, had a, a really, you know, great year uh, in the box there. And so hopefully that doesn't happen uh, to Peyton Graham as well. From a pitching staff perspective, Basically, a lot of new faces. Um, the guys last year really didn't get it done. We're going to have probably a whole new slate of weekend starters. There are some familiar names like Ben Abram and Jarrett Godman that um, you know did some relief pitching, did some midweek starts, but really it's a whole bunch of unknowns. Um, so we'll see what can happen there. Skip Johnson, I mean, you got to feel for the guy. This is a year that I think he's certainly on the hot seat. It's, it's uh, you know, prove it or lose it type of situation. And you know, 2020 is the year that we'll never know how that might have turned out, but not being able to play out that entire year, there's no, there's no real, I mean, maybe he got an extra year out of it, but you can't go recruit off of that lost year. You can't hang your hat on, you know, going to Omaha in that lost year. It just didn't happen. So mm -hmm. um, he's got to get out there and prove that he can win 40 games for the first time in his career uh, at OU at least. Adam, I do kind of have a question for you um, regarding Skip Johnson and, you know, kind of the outlook of this 2022 team. I mean, very similar to like we talked about with the, in the Big 12 with men's basketball. Um, baseball is very, very similar in the fact that you've got a lot of really, really good baseball teams. Uh, I mean, you know, preseason number one uh, is Texas. Uh, they've got a lot of guys back, especially on that pitching staff from a team a year ago that made it to Omaha, won over 50 games. And then you just go down the rest of the preseason top 25. I mean, you've got OSU coming in at 7, Texas Tech at 14, TCU at 17. So it's going to be tough um, for a large part of this conference play for OU to be able to get something done. What is realistically, what is, if you're Joe C, what do you want to see Skip do this year that gives you confidence that he's the guy moving forward? Yeah. We haven't made it to a regional since he's been here, right? Yeah, well, I think we did it in 2018, which was his, uh, I believe, his first year. But um, and as a program, we haven't finished um, higher than I think fifth in the conference, um, and that's that's going to be tough. I mean, there's some really good teams, maybe better teams in the Big 12 conference than there have been in any years past, and uh, kind of disheartening. But I think one preview I saw out there for OU baseball, basically the headline said. 
uh, can OU be a pest to top teams? And that means you're not good. <laughs> That's what that means. So um, if OU can actually be competitive and make a regional, that's going to be a huge accomplishment, I think, for this team. I, I just, I just don't see the outlook um, being too positive. Can we be a pest to other teams? We're going to be the Patrick Beverly of Big Twelve baseball. Yeah, you yeah, go. you definitely don't want to be that. I hate to say it, Adam, but talking about uh, OU making the transition to the SEC, six of the top ten teams in ba- in preseason baseball are from the SEC. So we better enjoy it while it lasts. For sure. Before we uh, jump into some other sports here. Um, I do want to say thanks for all the support for everybody that uh, jumped into our live podcast last week. If you missed that, um, it is recorded. It's it's in our feed. So make sure you subscribe to us on your uh, favorite podcast services and uh, be sure to give us a follow on uh, Twitter at the mainline pod. Uh, we've had some some big discussions today about uh, some of the receiving leaders, uh, some potential receiving leaders for the Sooners offense this year. So um, we don't take that for granted at all and greatly appreciate everyone giving us a follow on Twitter as well. So uh, that leads us to maybe a few sports that maybe people aren't as aware of or maybe um, haven't uh, seen as much on or we don't talk nearly enough about. But I think there's definitely some things that are, are worth mentioning because some really big things are happening in some of these um, maybe lesser followed sports. So, uh, Corbin, what you got for tennis? Yeah, women's tennis with a miracle run. Good thing they made it, right, Adam? Uh, you know, so uh, miracle run, making it all the way to the national championship uh, match. I think that's what you say in tennis. Game, set, match. There you go. Yeah, there uh, you go. Match. Yeah, look at me. Fully rounded, all American. Uh, yeah, game, set, match. So losing to UNC in the final, hell of a run by the ladies there. Can't say it's a sport that I keep up with much, but anytime a sport's doing well and Norman – tends to get some extra eyes on it. So congrats to all the ladies. Obviously, I'm sure they wish they would have brought the thing home, but uh, hell of a season. Yeah, uh, transitioning over here to men's gymnastics and Corbin, kind of like what you were talking about earlier in our days in the marketing department, uh, talking about all these spring sports brings back some really bad memories of that dreaded Google Doc where you had to fill out your t- what <laughs> time and games you wanted to work uh, as an intern. But talking about men's gymnastics, it's been a really nice start to the year. Um, for Mark Williams' squad, they've won three of their first four competitions this past weekend. The number two Sooners defeated number five Illinois in dominant fashion up in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, this sets up a matchup this uh, against Nebraska this weekend inside McCaslin Fieldhouse. So if you're looking for something to do uh, on Saturday night, head over to campus, check out this men's gymnastics squad. Um, this is a really young team with a lot of talent, and no doubt they'll be a uh, at the top of uh, the list of contenders when it comes time to compete for that national championship in April. And Adam, before I throw it over to you to uh, kind of close things out with women's gymnastics, there was something big that happened with the OU men's golf team uh, today all the way out in uh, Grand Rio, Puerto Rico, um, with Oklahoma actually taking home uh, the, the victory, uh, finishing six shots better than the University of Georgia today, uh, led by Chris Goderup, who actually claimed the individual title for Oklahoma uh, that's the number one uh, OU men's golf team uh, I might mention as well. He he fired a 59 under to win the Puerto Rico Classic today. So really, really good start to the year for uh, Coach Hibble's group. Um, this is going to be another outstanding spring uh, for OU athletics, not just on the gymnastics front or softball, but we've got a damn good golf program as well that uh, is firing on all cylinders right now. So it'll be fun to watch. I totally should have been a golfer growing up rather than playing all those other sports that everybody else was doing. So um, awesome updates there. Lastly, um, but certainly not least, 
women's gymnastics kind of in that mode of the season, similar to, I think where softball will be here in a couple of weeks where they're just cruising through, um, you know, some bad competition, some average competition and uh, beat up on George Washington in a W um, this past weekend. And uh, so they actually did drop down a spot in the standings to number three. They got passed by Florida who is upcoming on the schedule. Um, they will be here on the 25th. So next Friday, and then that will follow up uh, with a home matchup against number one, Michigan, in an ESPN2 matchup. So um, that's a huge one. Sooner Nation, that's one that, you know, we need everybody to be at the Lloyd Noble Center. Um, it's it's a total blast to be at a gymnastics meet if you haven't been before. And um, there's just so much action. Um, they keep it rolling really fast. So there's tons going on. And it's not super long. Um, you know, you'll probably be in and out of there in about an hour and 45. So um, it's a blast. Make the effort and check it out for sure. They could certainly use the support. So oh, we missed Red Panda tonight at men's basketball. Shit, we should have went. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. How much well, do we the, pay her? 10000 One of these days we'll get press press passes. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I can, <laughs> cough, I can cough and hack on the, on the press pool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, we'll, we'll work on that. We'll see what we can can dig up. But um, that's going to do it for uh, this evening and for this week's episode of the Mainline Podcast. We'll be back next week recapping hopefully some more uh, key victories, some wins, and some big things that are going on in OU Athletics. So until then, have a great week, and we'll see you guys next time.